This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. In the next few weeks, uh, we'll begin discussing Martin Buber's I and Thou, which was published 100 years ago, uh, 1923. And as background to that, I've been reading another book, uh, in a way on the same theme, called Reification by Axel Honneth. And Honneth doesn't mention Buber directly at all, instead taking his starting point, another book that came out in 1923, History in Class Consciousness by the Hungarian Marxist uh, George Lukács. And it's very interesting to see many of the themes that we're going to see developed in Buber discussed from this whole other uh, perspective. Because, you know, if you pick up a copy of I and Thou and you see this picture of Buber on the cover, with the big white beard and everything. He looks like he's just stepped out of the Old Testament. And if you look at that text, it seems very religious, philosophical, and prophetic. And you can completely lose sight of the fact that the themes he's addressing uh, didn't come out of his just out of his own personal or mystical experience, but were themes that were a preoccupation for a whole generation, and which people were coming at from lots of different ways. And that, ironically, to treat Buber as this kind of uh, unique or even mystical figure and take him out of context would be precisely uh, an example of the kind of reification uh, that he's arguing against. See, reification or objectification means treating something as a separate, discrete thing. And in one sense, we can 
see that as dehumanizing it. If you treat a person as a thing, you're erasing awareness of their subjectivity. But the other implication of reification is that you treat it as separate and distinct, that you pull it out of all context. Anath has as the um, epigraph to his book a quotation from Adorno that says, all reification is a forgetting. It's a forgetting of history and context. And Hanif takes this back to an idea in uh, Marx's Capital from the previous century, uh, the idea of commodity fetishism. And by that, Marx referred to the way we value something. We have a uh, piece of furniture, for instance, that we think of as beautiful or useful, we assign it a value according to how we want to use it or how we think of it. Oh, that's really beautiful and unique and or an antique, a very special, unique item. What doesn't go into our estimate of its value is a remembrance and recognition of the labor that went into producing it. The fetishism is the dissociation of our sense of its value from any awareness of what it actually took to make the thing. we could say that this was Marx's version of uh, our meal chant. 72 laborers brought us this food. We should know how it comes to us. Right? Typically when we're served a delicious meal, we get all caught up in its immediate preparation or presentation, but we don't give much attention, not just to the labor of the farmer, but to the whole agricultural system of which the farmer is a part and how he is either prospering or being immiserated by that system. So reification is this forgetting of context. And we're wanting to look at what is the alternative to that. How do we 
re-embed ourselves into a nexus of relationship. Now, one of the themes I'd like to develop in the discussion is this sense of non-separation, not as oneness or identity. Uh, too often non-separation has that kind of uh, quality of being one with. Uh, merging with, right? But instead, this other dimension of non-separation as interconnectedness or interdependence, in which things don't lose their individual identity, but that identity doesn't exist separate from a relation to all sorts of other things going on around it that make it what it is, make it possible. The term reification was central to this book by Lukash, History and Class Consciousness, also in 1923. And he wanted to talk in the broadest terms about what happens to people and what happens to whole classes of people when they lose sight of context. And as a Marxist, he was particularly interested in the working class and how it became alienated from its own labor and lost sight of the role of labor in the whole functioning of society. Not only did we lose track of the way value was dependent on labor, but labor itself became a commodity, uh, something that was worth so much an hour rather than being part of a whole social class and power structure. It's just one more thing to be bought and sold at the current market rate. And for Lukash, the kind of manifestation of that was he said the labor has settled for a kind of uh, trade unionism in which it wants to argue or bargain over the price of labor, but has completely lost sight of the possibility of upending the whole capitalist system in which labor is commodified or reified.
Uh, when we talk about objectification or reification, most of the time we focus on the effect being treated that way has on uh, the, the person. Our generation, you know, the most familiar example was the objectification of women. Their definition in term, their terms of the male gaze or their role, they're being confined to a particular social and domestic role. And we spent all, and the emphasis was how this oppressed and limited the lives and consciousness of women. But what Boomer and many of his generation were trying to emphasize was that that objectification uh, damaged and limited the objectifier uh, in, in many ways as much as the objectified. Buber will have a line to the effect that the I in an I-it relationship is not the same I in an I-thou relationship. When we treat the world a certain way or another person in a certain way, we ourselves become dif different kinds of people for doing that. And we can sort of certainly see in a kind of broad way that an objectifying stance to the world and to other people can turn us into what seems like cold or heartless or even simply cold scientific, right? As if our baseline relationship to the world is one of knowing and using. See, that idea also was challenged in another book that came out a few years after the Buber, 1927, Heidegger's being in time. And he wanted to also challenge this basic idea that our relationship to the world starts in this mode of knowing or using or manipulating. And instead, he said, that, that is, that's not basic, but that's a, a kind of secondary or even fallen uh, fragmentation product 
of a basic embeddedness in the world, which he, he called care. Zorga, I believe, is the German that's all mispronounced. But that our basic world, our basic existence is one of embedded engagement. We don't start as separate individuals trying to encounter a mysterious world out there or trying to figure out how to understand or relate to separate individual people. Our initial state in, the, in life is already one of engaged relatedness. In Heidegger, he talks about the difference between ready at hand and present at hand. Or present at hand is simply a detached object that we haven't quite figured out what to do with, what it is, what our relationship is going to be with it. Or something ready at hand is part of. So sort of the, the affordances, all the ongoing ways in which we immediately recognize and know how to function with the things around us. When we walk into a room, we immediately make use of a doorway. We don't first somehow intellectually recognize it and then figure out how to use it. A door is pre-consciously part of the world that we're in. And who we are is already shaped by having grown up in a world of doors. You know, maybe if you're really tall and you're always banging your head on the top of a door, the shape and size of doors is fundamental to you even learning what your body is like. Hanath uh, wants to try to elaborate our understanding of not just reification, but what is its alternative? And where Buber frames that in terms of I-thou, Hanath uh, takes the Hegelian word recognition as the basic form of engagement, mutual intersubjective engagement. That we've in some way been born into, but then also somehow can lose sight of.
in all these cases, we have a generation of writers trying to find or articulate some alternative to the language of scientific or positivistic or Cartesian separation. We've taken for granted separateness and think the problem is how do we learn about or connect with an outside world. This whole generation of thinkers is asking, what if that formulation itself is an expression of, of the problem? an expression of reification, of, of ingrained habit of separateness, where we lose sight of our original starting place of interconnectedness. Now, later we'll have a Sangha council meeting where we'll discuss different ways in which we see our practice engaging social and political awareness and, and action. That theme is an extension of this idea of our fundamental interconnectedness, that our practice is not something that is about simply cultivating inner states. It's not just something that's happening between our ears on the cushion. It's not just something that's happening among us as Sangha members but it's an attempt to overcome this forgetting. The forgetting that obscures the 72 labors that brought us our food. How would we, how should we act if we remember. 